0: The Lord be with you. you. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed Blessed be the the name of the Lord. The The one who comes in the name of the Lord comes to us here in the nave of Marsh Chapel, 735 Commonwealth Avenue in the city of Boston. Christ comes to us over the airwaves on WBUR 90.9 FM and over internet signals at WBUR.org. Christ comes to us in the days and weeks to come as we listen to the podcast at bu.edu chapel. Christ comes and we await Christ's coming in hopeful anticipation on this first Sunday of Advent when we are reminded to keep awake. In a wakeful spirit, let us stand as we are able in the praise of God. Let us pray. All-powerful God, increase our strength of will for doing good, that Christ may find an eager welcome at his coming, and call us to his side in the kingdom of heaven, where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We light the first Advent candle in the spirit of hope. With penitent hearts, we turn toward the light of hope in a world of darkness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have created a universe of light. Forgive us when we return to darkness. Lord, have mercy. Lord Jesus, you are the light of the world. Cleanse and heal our blinded sight. Christ, have mercy. Holy Spirit, you give us light in our hearts. Renew us in faith and love. Lord, have mercy. Let us continue in a spirit of confession in silence during the singing of the Kyrie. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God.
1: A lesson from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1 to 9. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil to make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any god besides you, who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There was no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider, we are all your people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Let us say responsively verses from Psalm 80 with the antiphon. Shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's people like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before the tribes of Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine that we may be saved. O God of hosts, How long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears, and given them
3: tears to drink in full measure.
2: You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. people of God, rise up, in body as you are able, but certainly in heart, for the singing of the Gloria, the reading of the Gospel, and the singing of our hymn.
0: Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 24, verses 24 to 37. Glory, glory to you, O Lord. Lord. But in those days, after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. This generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all. Keep awake. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Those of you who were here over the summer when I preached a sermon entitled, Pay Attention, are probably getting tired of the propensity of young preachers to employ sermon titles toward mundane ends. You may be thinking, apparently, Pay Attention didn't go so well. So now he's hoping we'll just stay awake. Just you wait until Dean Hill assigns me to preach the parable of the wedding banquet, when the sermon title will be, Show Up. (laughs) No, far be it from me to discourage any impulse to congregational vigor during the sermon. Nevertheless, like last June, I hope the sermon itself will draw attention to other ends toward which the title might be pointing. May God be with you. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and to put on the armor of light, now in the time of this mortal life, in which our Son Jesus Christ came to us in great humility, that on the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal. Through him who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now, and forever. Amen. As a matter of fact, it should not be too terribly difficult to keep awake during this first, or is it the last, Sunday of the Christian year. After all, anxiety makes it hard to fall asleep. Advent is nothing if not an anxious time, The first Sunday especially. Time itself seems to have gotten wrapped around. It's the start of the Christian year, but simultaneously the end of all time. The hallmark of Advent is the theme of waiting. Waiting for the Christ child to come and waiting for Christ to come again, all at the same time. And so perhaps we can understand something of our experience about this time last year that may not have been as strange as we once thought, when we found Dean Hill meandering through the basement of the chapel singing, Have an anxious, edgy advent, it's the worst time of the year, in his out-of-tune way. Indeed it is an anxious time in anxious times. We don't know quite what to expect. Will the stock market continue its dramatic climbs as it has since the next economic team was announced, or will it take another staggering drug as yet another financial firm or an automotive company announces insolvency and bankruptcy? Of course, it could be that our anxiety about the economy is blinding us from other concerns that should be more pressing. Will ten men with guns, wearing designer t-shirts and blue jeans, come shouting into our favorite restaurants and hotels, even our places of worship, as happened this past week in Mumbai? No, say it isn't so. This is the season of hope. At least we hope so. Surely some of the hostages in the Oberoi Hotel harbored a few apocalyptic thoughts, perhaps along the lines of those proffered in our prophetic text this morning. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. To make your name known to your adversaries, so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard. No ear has perceived. No eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. Seems like a good idea, we think for God to show up right about now and overcome our adversaries. As we hide under a table, we can imagine the archangel Michael striding forth, knocking the gun out of the young man's hands, and cleaving his head from his shoulders with a fiery sword. After all, surely we are God's elect, and our gospel lesson tells us he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth, to the ends of heaven. Imaginations of supernatural interventions in the face of extreme terror and distress are probably coping mechanisms. They distract us from the carnage going on about us and provide a sense of calming and assurance that holds back the instinctual fight-or-flight reactions that could draw more attention to us. To such ends, they are surely good things. But what are we to make of them when the terror and carnage stop? How might we understand such experiences in the light of day? And what are we to make of the fact that there was no angel with a fiery sword? The first thing we might do is give thanks that the God who creates us creates us with coping mechanisms so that we have a better chance of surviving such acts of terrorism. Not all did survive, we know. And for them, their families and friends, we pray especially this morning. Of course, it may be that the next morning, in the light of day, we find ourselves quietly relieved, that no angel with a fiery sword actually showed up. If one had, then there really would be some explaining to do. No, in the scientific age, our problem is less explaining why God does not intervene in mundane affairs, and more, how to understand our traditions and texts that make claims to past and future divine interventions. Such understandings are especially hard to come by when it is Jesus who predicts the intervention. After all, no one wants to be caught claiming that the Son of God was wrong. On the other hand, it may be less that Jesus was wrong and more that there is something inadequate in our interpretive framework, more specifically in our understanding of time. Let us consider for a few moments what Christ's coming and our watchfulness might mean from the perspective of eternity. A recent dean of Marsh Chapel is fond of pointing out that God is not in time, time is in God. God's perspective is not temporal, it is eternal. And eternity is not static, it is dynamic. In eternity, the past, present, and future of things are held together. In time, things have pasts that do not change and futures that are open except as constrained by the unchanging past and present choices. But in eternity, we are both our present selves, conditioned by all of our past choices, and our past selves prior to having made those choices, and all of the future selves that are possible given the choices we have or might have made. That's enough metaphysics for one sermon, or perhaps too much. But what does it mean for our texts? It means that Jesus is absolutely right, that no one but the Father knows the day or the hour. The day and the hour is a concern of temporal creatures, not a concern of the eternal God. God comes to us in all the modes of time—past, present, and future. God comes to us in the present by offering us our past selves, out of which we, which we choose to continue or change course in light of future possibilities. God comes to us in the past as the value we have achieved in our choices— as they were present according to the possibilities that were future. God comes to us in the future as the possibilities we might actualize by changing past actualizations in present choices. And so, Jesus was also right to say that this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. By the time each generation passes away, God has come to all of the members of that generation in their past actuality, in their present choices, and in their future possibilities at each moment of their lifetimes. So, too, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Heaven and earth are parts of creation, and so are subject to temporality. Time passes. This is obvious. But Jesus' words will not pass away. God is eternal, and so God comes to us in all of the pasts and all of the present and all of the futures of our lives. What then does it mean to keep awake? Does it mean that we are to be on the lookout for angels with fiery swords? Well, maybe for those brief moments when The gunmen are shooting up the dining room and we are appropriately cowering under the table. But the rest of the time, to keep awake is to attune ourselves to the coming of God in every moment of our lives in eternal perspective. God is continually coming to us in each moment as it has a past, a present, and a future. Jesus is surely right that we do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn. We do not know when, because when is a question of temporal creatures. The eternal God comes to us in the evening, and at midnight, and at cockcrow, and at dawn, as each watch of the night passes from future possibility into present choice, and then into past actuality. But before we go on about our way, happily rejoicing that God is eternally come, it is important to pause for a moment and remember that God's coming is not always such a happy or pleasant thing. Did you hear it? Did you hear last week, as the choir sang Johann Sebastian Bach's Cantata 147, Herz und Mund und Tat und Leben? Well, perhaps you didn't if you don't speak German. But hopefully you read it in the translation. Heart and mouth and deed and life must give testimony of Christ without fear or hypocrisy that he is God and Savior. indeed, All of this talk of God coming to us in each and all of the modes of time is a giving of testimony that Christ is God and Savior. But to what do we testify? The tenor recitative declaims Mary giving thanks for the Christ child, and we too give thanks. But it also announces Christ as both liberator and judge. We can rest comfortably with the freedom Christ brings, but are we willing to welcome the coming of Christ in judgment, as our rose window depicts? Later, the base depicts Christ coming both to throw down and to lift up. Surely, we all know both moments in our lives worthy of being cast down, and times worthy of being lifted up. As the tenor sings at the beginning of the second half of the cantata, we are in need of help to acknowledge God, who comes to us in prosperity and in woe, in joy and in sorrow. Bach leaves us resting in the arms of a loving and caring Christ but we would do well to remember that God's coming is as sure as the sunrise and not always so docile. Our God is a consuming fire. Here, in the first week of Advent, time does indeed collapse together and we catch a glimpse of the coming to us of the wild God, who creates the world out of eternity. The good news for us today is that a day of peace does shine for us, albeit dimly. It shines to us out of the future through which God is also present to us, through our hopes and prayers and dreams. It shines to us who are awake to the eternity of which we are created and judged. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. Amen.
2: As we are called to prayer through the singing of Lead Me, Lord, I invite you to pray as you are so moved to best support the prayers of this community. Come and kneel at the altar rail, stand as you are, raise your hands, pray aloud in your first language, speak aloud, or be silent. Come, for God invites us to be together with God and with one another in prayer. are one, you who are three, one God in perfect community, we who are your people and community in this space and time give you thanks for this time with you and with one another. At the beginning of this new year of faith, as you are both present and coming in our lives, we pray for ourselves in relationship to you relationship to one another, in relationship to the world, that this may truly be a time of both new beginnings and of hope. So we pray for our individual ministries and the ministries that we have together, for our stewardship of time and resources, for our life of prayer and our actions of love this may truly be a time of hope for both ourselves and for the world, as we both await your coming and rejoice in your presence. So we pray that you would bless this Advent to us and to those around us. We pray also for the world as your creation, that we may increase our holy stewardship of its resources for our commonwealth. our common good we pray also for the world as it is your creation in diversity of peoples of nations of cultures and of faith that we may increase our civility and respect for one another that you who hold us all in your hand and your love may be honored Pray also for those who face particular challenges of mind, body, and spirit, particularly for those who are afraid, for those who are caught up in economic and social forces beyond their control, for those who must wait, for those who are angry. May we so live so as to lessen these challenges, for ourselves and for those around us. We pray also for those who have died, for those families and friends who mourn their loss. We give thanks that you have taken them to yourself and to your peace. May we also rest in your peace and in your hope. We pray for the celebrations and joys of our lives those things which strengthen our hearts, help us to hope, help us to recognize you even in your more distressing disguises. So particularly in this holiday season, may we rest in celebration and in quiet, in busyness and in stillness, in exuberance and in peace. So bless our advent to us as we begin this day. In the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit we pray, Amen. And now gathering all these prayers, into the prayer that our Lord has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread
0: The peace of the Lord be always with you. Also be with you. We greet you this morning in the name of the Christ who is yet to come. And we would invite you to fill out the ritual of friendship, otherwise known as the Red Book at the end of each pew, so that we can get to know one another better and be in touch. We would invite those of you who in our listening audience who may so desire to make donations to the chapel online, you may do so at bu.edu chapel. Click the link for stewardship in the upper right-hand corner. The university opens again tomorrow morning following the Thanksgiving break, and our chapel offices are open again beginning tomorrow morning, and our regular schedule of events begins tomorrow as well. We would make special note of the service of Lessons and Carols taking place on Friday, December 12th at 6 p.m. here in the nave and repeated again at our regular 11 a.m. Sunday service on December 14th. We will invite you next Sunday following the service to join us for an Advent workshop downstairs in the Marsh Room and throughout the basement uh, as we prepare for the coming of Christ at Christmas. Now walk in love as Christ loved us, an offering and sacrifice to God. Mm-hmm.
2: Every good and perfect thing, we offer back to you these are gifts of money, symbol of our time, resources, life energy, and commitment. May we who give these gifts and those who receive them be strengthened and encouraged in the life of faith, that we may continue your work of love and justice in the world. We pray these things in the name of Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen i <laughs>
0: Dear friends, life is short, and we do not have too much time to gladden the hearts of those who walk the way with us. So be swift to love, and make haste to be kind. In the presence of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, abide and remain with you always, this day and forevermore. Amen. Amen.